Well, this season at Advent, we're going to be uh, looking at the book of Luke. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke. You'll find the scripture reading for this morning uh, printed for you there in your bulletin from Luke chapter 1. When I was a kid, there was really only one thing that you needed to prepare a Christmas list. uh, And that was the Sears Robot Christmas Catalog. Now... For those of you who aren't old enough to remember this, the Sears Robot Christmas catalog was basically the internet of toys in a very thick magazine. Okay, You didn't go Google what you were looking for. They just sent you a book with every toy that Santa had ever thought about making. And you just spent hours thumbing through this thing and dog-earing the pages. And your Christmas list was you just kind of handed that to your mom and said, here, just get me some of these things that are, that are on this list. Uh, These days when Susan and I do Christmas, it's more like this. She says, I already got something for you to give to me. And I say, thank you very much. Will you at least let me wrap it? All right. That's kind of how our our, our Christmas lists work these days. Uh, But but getting beyond all of our lists, I I want to ask, if I were to ask, what do you really want? We've got the list that we like, I like this and this, but, but what do you really want? What's really on your Christmas list? What, what would make you happy this Christmas? If you were to write that down, what would be on it? Would it be for my spouse not to work such long hours? Um, for work not to be so difficult? For enough money to actually pay the bills and not fret about everything this year? For a new job? For a good report from the doctor? For my, for my child who has been astray for so long to come back home? To not feel so alone? For an end to all the violence that seems to to plague our world. To feel safe. To feel like my children are going to be okay and and that they're going to be safe. That's what I really want. But I can't can't put that on a list. And I can't can't hand that to you. You can't do anything about that. And I think what we're yearning for in that, that kind of hidden beneath the surface list is we're yearning for this broken and twisted and sometimes evil world to be made right again. To be made right and good and beautiful. And we long for that. See, we've got the superficial Christmas list, the one that we hand out, the one that we tell everybody about. And then we've got that hidden deeper list that reflects the true desires of our hearts. And I think both of those lists are connected. Because if you would take the time to think about that deeper list, I I, I think you would see what you really want. There is that something broken about the world and something broken about my particular life and there's this longing for that to be made right and whole but then if you're also to sit down and take time to think about that more superficial list you might begin to think that i think to realize that a lot of times what we are doing with that superficial list with the ipads and the iphones and the new cars and everything else that what we're doing with that superficial list is we're trying to put a happiness band-aid over the cracks in our lives something just to give us a jolt of happiness because it is a hard world and at least for a few minutes i can get something to make me feel good again and then after a while like caffeine that jolt kind of wears off and we need another hit we don't want the world to be broken we want it to be fixed we want death to be done away with we want this world to work like it's supposed to work we want gladness instead of sorrow And the good news of Christmas is that God wants the same thing. That's why he sent Jesus into the brokenness. 
We can't make this world right because we can even make our own hearts right. But God can and God is doing just that. And that's what we're going to think about this morning. So look with me in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. This is God's word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their throne and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Pray with me. Father, thank you um, for your word. Thank you for Christmas uh, and the time where we can remember uh, Jesus coming into the world. Help us as we think about what that means this morning. We ask it in his name. Amen. Well, Christmas uh, is about the gift that God has given to us. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to talk about that gift and talk about why we need it and why God gives it. And then think about what our reaction to the gift is. So first of all, what is the gift? Or more appropriately here, who is the gift? Who is the gift of Christmas? Because our story starts with this young woman named Mary who's sitting at home one day, you know, flipping through the pages of 
bridal magazine because she's getting ready to get married. She's making plans for her wedding with Joseph when suddenly the angel Gabriel appears to her and says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And I love how verse 29 describes her reaction. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Wait, what, what now? What, Gabriel, what exactly are you talking about here? And Gabriel says, no, look, look, settle down. Everything's fine. I've got good news for you. I need to tell you something. You're going to have a son. But he's not going to be conceived in the normal way. His conception is actually going to be by the miraculous working of the Holy Spirit. He's a gift to you. But he's not just going to be a gift to you, Mary. This son is actually going to be a gift to the entire world. Now, we're going to come back to Mary's reaction to this in a minute. But let's think for a minute about this son whom the angel Gabriel was promising to Mary. Gabriel tells us that the son's name is going to be Jesus. Uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, we learn that this is his name because he will save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus means. It means Yahweh saves or God saves. Gabriel goes on to tell us that this child will be great. That he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Son of God. Holy his will be the throne of David. He will reign forever. And his kingdom is never going to end. Mary, he's saying, your son, this son I'm promising you, is going to be the king. He's going to be the king. And he will rule. And he will rule well. And he's actually going to rule forever. Can you imagine, I know this is a stretch, can you imagine being excited about the coming of a president who will reign forever? Like, man, I'm glad we elected him. I hope he is president forever. I mean, is it, no, but we've never thought that about, about anyone, no matter how good they were. Or have you ever read a book that you were so excited about that you just, you, it was just so good that you started reading it more slowly at the end because you just wanted this to, I don't want to finish reading this book. I just keep wanting this to keep going on and on and on and on. Can you imagine a ruler who actually does what he promises? A ruler who really does have the ability to fix the deepest problems of this world and the deepest problems of my heart and your heart. That's the son that was being promised to Mary. That's the gift of Christmas. It was a gift for Mary, but it's a gift for you and it's a gift for me. Well, why do we need this gift? Why do we need this Savior King? Uh, a few years ago, there was a, a school shooting near Christmas in, during Advent. And one of my pastor friends wrote on his Facebook page, Dear Jesus, your birth was greeted by a holocaust and your death was a senseless act of violence. The suffering continues. Please help us. Now, what was he talking about when he said that your birth was greeted by a holocaust? Oh, I'm going to flip over. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 2. This is in verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that, that he had ascertained from the wise men. Uh, Herod was king, and the thought of Jesus, that Jesus might be the king was a threat to Herod's power. 
And so when the wise men don't come back to tell Herod where he can find Jesus, he has all the baby boys in Bethlehem under the age of two murdered to make sure that Jesus is not going to be his king because he wants to remain king himself. And so even as Jesus is coming into the world to put an end to the madness, it's as he is being greeted by one more senseless act of violence and madness. And the madness keeps going, right? It continues today. I don't even have to give you examples. You just read on the internet every morning of something else crazy that has happened in our world. Why do we need a savior king? We need a savior king to put an end to the madness out there. Why do we need a savior king? We need a savior king who can put an end to the madness in here, in my heart, and in your heart. Because like Herod, we look to false saviors. We want to be the king. We want to hold on to power. And because like Herod, we're determined to keep this. We are determined to be king ourselves. Why do we need a savior king? Because Jeremiah 17, 9 was true when it was written, and it's true today. It says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? See, that, that's not just the heart of a madman like Herod. That's my heart, too. I have a desperately sick heart, and I need a great Savior to cure my heart. I, I can't cure the sickness of my own heart. I can't cure the sickness of the hearts of the people around me. I can't remake the world so that tragedy and, and weeping are, are no longer a part of the world. We can't do that collectively either. I mean, we, we try, don't we? Uh, we pass new laws. We elect people who we think will change things. We, we buy more guns. We try to ban guns. We get a dog. We put on our seat belts. Uh, we wear sunscreen. We take our vitamin D. We go to the doctor. We move into safer neighborhoods. We do, we do all of these things, but tragedy continues, and brokenness continues, and disease and death continue. We need a king to save us. We need a good king to save us. We need a king to rule us and to rule this. We need Jesus. Well, why does God give this gift? Look at verse 54 in our text. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. You know, if you go back to the Old Testament, from the, the very moment of the fall, God is purposing, and even you could say before the fall, he was purposing to do something about this brokenness that had come into the world. Uh, in Genesis 12, God appears to Abraham and promises to bless him. Why? In order that he might actually be a blessing to the world. In Genesis 22, God tells Abraham, hey, look, in your offspring... All of the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. I am going to bring blessing to the world through you and through your offspring. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 3 says that Jesus is that ultimate offspring of Abraham who has come to bring blessing to the world. And I think Mary sees that. Mary gets that. Jesus is the one 
Jesus is the one that was promised to Abraham. Jesus is the offspring that is coming to bring blessing into the world. Jesus is the one who's coming to fix all of this. God hasn't forgotten his promises. It it feels like that sometimes. But God hasn't forgotten his promises. God hasn't ceased to be merciful. God gives this gift of Jesus because he's promised to do that. God gives the gift of Jesus because he is a merciful God. You know, the amazing thing about the Bible is that it doesn't just end with Adam and Eve when they sin against God. But he doesn't just go, all right, well, you know, you had your chance. God doesn't just say, never mind. He promises to restore this broken world and make all things new again. And so the whole Bible, while yes, it is a story of of sin and tragedy and evil, it's also the story of a God who's working in the midst of all of that, working in the midst of that sin and evil, working in spite of that sin and evil, sometimes working even through that sin and evil to accomplish his purposes and bring healing to the world, to make all things new through the work of his son. At the end of Avengers, we, we rewatched this this week, and if you haven't seen the end of Avengers yet, if we got people who haven't, tell, cover their ears. Clary, cover their ears real quick. Okay. At the very end of the Avengers movie, you know, Tony Stark has to, to give up his life to make all things new, to defeat evil, because it's the only way to do it. There's just one way. That's what Christmas is about. It's about God doing, doing things the one way that they had to be done to make all things right and to make all things new. Jesus has come and done that one thing to save us from our sins. Okay, you're good enough. <laughs> you're good enough. <laughs> you guys know that, that, that Christmas is about gifts. Uh, it's about traditions, it's about family, and all that's great, and all that's wonderful, and, and, and you should enjoy all of that. But Christmas is also about the arrival of the king. The king who has come to give his life to make all things new. Christmas is a time to celebrate this gift of Jesus to the world. The Lord of the Rings, you know the quote, I, I love this quote, Sam Gamgee finds out that his friend Gandalf isn't really dead. And he says, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? Christmas is about that hope of everything sad coming untrue. And so when we celebrate Christmas morning in a few weeks, we're not, it's not just a time to bathe in nostalgia. We're celebrating the fact that Jesus has actually come to undo the sadness because the, the triune God that we confess, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have made it their business and their delight to do so. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. God is a merciful God. He remembers his promises, and he has sent Jesus into the world to make all things new. Now, what's your reaction to this gift? What's your reaction to the gift that God has given? Uh, sometimes, you know, we can tell what somebody thinks by our gift, by the reaction that they, they have to our gift. 
Hey, thanks. Now, where did you buy that? And did you get a receipt with that? Oh, good, good, good. Just, just curious. Um, what's your reaction to the gift that God has given you in Jesus Christ? I, I think Mary's reaction is, is helpful to, to think through. First of all, in verse 29, you can see that she's somewhat taken aback. You know, what, what's going on here? What's she taken aback by? I think she's taken aback that God would show her such favor. But in the words of verse 48, that he would look on the humble estate of his servant. Like, wait, wait, who am I that you would give me this gift? Who, who am I that God would show me this favor? And so when you think about the gift of Christ, are you ever humbled by that? Are you humbled that God would give his son for you? Are you humbled by the fact that the way, the only way that your salvation could be brought about is for someone to actually die for you? Now, maybe just the idea of, of sin itself is offensive to you. You feel like it's this kind of outdated religious concept that we don't really need any longer. Let me encourage you to, to be careful with that because what you're doing, when, when, if we get rid of the category of sin, we are really doing away with our right to be outright, outraged by murder and violence and crime. Because if those things aren't sin, if they aren't sins against God, then what are they but just survival of the fittest? Like that, that's all they are, right? Really? And what are they but random, unfortunate events in a random, unfortunate universe? Or, or maybe that the fact that the Bible says that you were so, so sinful that someone had to die for you, that that's what's offensive to you. That, that you know, you're saying, like, I, I might have my problems, but I don't know that I'm really that bad. I think we always need to remember that the gospel is not that the bad people are going to be excluded from heaven and the good people are going to get in. The gospel is that the prideful are excluded and the humble get in. And I think we see some of this in verse 51. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their throne and exalted those of humble estate. Mary's taken aback and humbled even. That God would give her this gift. Are, are you humbled by the gift of Jesus? Uh, secondly, we see Mary about Mary is her humble faith in God's word. Look in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Just as God called Mary to trust him at his word, God calls us to trust him at his word. To trust that he has sent Jesus as the Savior King to deliver me from my sin. Uh, to, to, to receive this gift by faith, trusting in him. What, what was the, how did it end earlier? Um, Come thou long expected Jesus, by thine all-sufficient merit. To trust that this really is by grace. That it's not about anything that I can do. That it's about what God has done. And I don't have to repay him. I can't pay him for this. You ever get in those arguments or seen somebody get in these arguments where like you're in this big family, you all go out to eat at, at wherever, and there's a fight for who's going to pay for the bill. No, let me pay for it. No, let me pay for it. And I, I feel like we, we, we feel like sometimes we can like pay for this gift. We can't. We only receive this gift 
through faith, by trusting God at his word. I have sent my son for you. You don't have to, you don't have to do anything. You just have to receive it. We trust him in his word. And then the, the final thing we see from Mary in reaction to this is just praise. Look in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. You know, I think there's a, there's a helpful way to determine whether you're really a Christian or whether you're just a southern churchian person that you do this because you're supposed to do this. And it's this. Does the story of Christmas cause your heart to overflow with praise for God? Does the story of Christmas cause your heart to overflow with praise to God? You know, when we, when we love something, we, pra- we praise it, right? In fact, our enjoyment of it isn't really complete until we praise it. I, I'm not able to fully enjoy the big game until I'm able to talk to you about the big game. And I'm not going to do that right now. Um, but but, but is, your, is your heart glad this morning? Does, does your heart rejoice that Jesus has come to make all things new? The gift of Christmas is Jesus. Do, do you rejoice in that? Are you humbled by that? God has sent his son into the world to deliver you from your sin and sorrow. He, is, he, he, he has sent him into the world to deliver you from your sin and sorrow simply through faith in him by receiving a gift and here's the thing to to wrap all this up from where we started tim keller puts it this way he says the the bible doesn't give a reason for the suffering in the world and when we look at the cross of christ we still don't know what the answer is but we know what the answer isn't we know what the answer isn't it can't be that he doesn't love us it can't be that he is indifferent or detached from our condition. God takes our misery and suffering so seriously that he was willing to enter into it himself and bear it so that one day we would no longer have to. Christmas is about Jesus becoming Emmanuel, God with us. But he became God with us in order to enter into our suffering and take on our suffering by suffering himself so that one day suffering will be done away with, swallowed up by our great Savior King. And I'll just close with this. Even if you you don't think that's true, you ought to want that to be true. And you owe it to yourself this Christmas to search the scriptures and see if it's true. For yourself. Let me pray. Lord God, there is um, so much that is broken in this world, and and we can kind of use Christmas sometimes to just sort of try to put a band-aid on that for a little bit. But we know that that doesn't last. And so help us to see Jesus in the midst of all this. Uh, that Jesus has come to, to take on our sin and to end our sorrow. Uh, Give us hope uh, when we are discouraged. Uh, Draw us back to Christ in the hope that he will indeed make all things new. Make us excited about that. 
Give us a desire to talk about that. And give us a desire to share that good news with others. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.